Welcome to Inside Out, a series of podcasts from Pitchfork that explore new perspectives on music, art, and culture. Inside Out is presented by MailChimp. Build your brand, sell more stuff. Mitski Miyawaki is one of the sharpest young voices in indie rock, her raw and evocative lyricism meeting meticulous and sprawling musical ambition. She studied studio composition at SUNY Purchase Conservatory of Music, where she recorded her first two albums, 2012's Lush and 2013's Sad New Career in Business as student projects. With graduation came a move to Brooklyn, where her 2014 breakthrough, the blistering and relatable Bury Me at Makeout Creek, established her as a favorite of the DIY scene and beyond. With 2016's Puberty 2, Mitski's star power came into total focus through her visuals, her outspokenness, and most of all, her brutally honest songs. She's been traveling the world ever since. This talk was recorded last month at Brooklyn Bazaar in front of a live audience. Mitski's interviewer is Pitchfork's senior editor, Jillian Mapes, who awarded Puberty 2 Best New Music last year. And so without further ado, please welcome Jill Mapes and Mitski. Thank you. Yeah, thank you guys. You're welcome. <laughs> so how are you? Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's we, get into it. Pretend they're not here and just yeah. like... Um, no, I'm good. I mean, we, granted, we've been talking downstairs in the green room for quite a while, so it's... Yes. Um, we're going to just continue that. Yeah. Yeah. So we were talking about donuts downstairs, but I don't know if we want to like, keep doing that. And I Miami. Mean, I love them, but there's not much more to say about them other yeah. than yeah. they're so, wonderful. Okay, the first thing I want to ask you about is where music kind of started for you. If, and that's very broad, but it can kind of take a lot of different forms in terms of like, was it a specific band? Was it a specific memory? Was it something? And I'm really curious about this, especially because I know you moved around a lot when you were young. So I'm curious to know when it entered your life in, in some sort of significant way and what kind of music it was. If it was music where you were at at the time, if it was some sort of cultural, like if it was American music, um, let's see. Well, the thing that worked for me in my lifestyle when I was a child <laughs> about music was that it's portable. So, and um, the thing about music is that you can technically sing without any instruments. So I would like, you know, be in a car, in a plane, just alone in a new house and not know what to do with myself. But then I would just hear music in my head or I would sing to myself and that's how I'd pass the time. That's how I'd I don't know, comfort myself, feel less lonely. So music was always there. I don't know where, what the true origin was. Um, but the, the moment I realized I was good at singing was in seventh grade. Um, I had always been in Japanese school, but in seventh grade, my parents put me in English-speaking school, and I didn't speak much English, and I was kind of having a hard time. Um, and then, but I joined a choir, and that's where people started to say, like, hey, Mitski, like, you have a good voice. And that was kind of like my entry point, or not, not really my entry point, because I, I still didn't have many friends, but it gave me a reason to be there. Or it, it kind of, me being able to sing gave me permission to exist. Or, like, be, be like, well, this is 
why I'm allowed to be here or why am I allowed to be in choir because I'm contributing. It became the thing that let me contribute. Um, and I think that was how it started. And then ever since, I, I think I just, I felt like I didn't have anything else. I wasn't good at anything else. So I fixated on music from then on and then I just kind of went with it. You play, you play a lot of instruments. I'm, what was your first that you, besides the voice, where did you go? The first one was piano, but it was only really because our household just always had a keyboard. Um, yeah, and then, yeah, I always played piano. I only started playing guitar in college. I've said this before, but I used to gig with a big keyboard and I used to like lug it around the New York subway and everyone would look at me like, get the fuck out of here. Am I allowed to swear in this? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, totally. Right, okay, cool. Um, fuck and, yeah. Yeah, so I just like, I just switched to guitar purely because it was practically just more uh, portable. That was why you switched? Yeah, and then I, and I, and I moved on to bass guitar because the bassist that I had employed for my band just stopped showing up to rehearsals. And so I was like, well, we have a show. I'm gonna learn bass now. And that's how I started bass. How many musical things are actually just practical things? Like hearing you talk about it, it sounds like... Most. Yeah. Most, I mean like the thing for me is the voice is all that really matters to me. No offense to everyone else, but... <laughs> The, my voice <laughs> is what matters. Well, specifically the vocal melody is what matters to me. And I want to make sure, especially with the way I grew up, that all my songs, uh, people can sing them regardless of whatever instruments they have or whether they have karaoke. I want all my music to be able to singable when there's nothing. Because um, that's how I started music. So everything else is kind of just like... Well, I have to play a show and they won't want just my voice, so I better like get a piano and some bullshit instruments or just like, you know, well, I, I guess, you know, I have to make an album and it'll be boring. <laughs> Music. <laughs> it'll be boring if it was, I mean, like, you know, I'm simplifying it, I'm exaggerating it, but essentially, the, yeah. So you come back to that. That is your core, is the voice, is the thing you're thinking about first and foremost. Yes. Do you have a song of yours that you like your voice on the most? Because your vocal style is like, it's you can do so many different modes and you do it over the course of a record. You do so many different kind of things that I'm kind of curious what your own favorite, like when you think of your own voice, like it is this mode or it sounds like this or I like this thing about it. I don't like my voice. <laughs> you if don't? Here's, well, here's the thing. I think... Um, I got into singing because other people said they liked my voice, but then I would listen to my own voice and I'd be like, really? Like this, I just did, I think what it is is that it doesn't sound like, uh, when I was younger, um, I was listening to like Mariah Carey and Christina Aguilera and my voice sounded nothing like that. So I thought my voice was bad because my standard was Mariah Carey, which is impossible. I think that sets a precedent for the rest of my life. My standards are way too high. Um, I always feel like I could sing better. And it's, yeah, and it's just a matter of like, okay, we don't have much more studio time. You have to like cut it off. Yeah. Yeah. If you had like 100 vocal takes, would you just, do you think you would get to a point where you're like, yes, this is what I have in my head? Well, the thing about um, 
digital production now is that you can cut and paste. Sure. Yeah. So. So no need for that. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Who are your own kind of favorite singers? I mean, I don't know if Mariah is still up there for you, but like people who do things with their voices that you're like, maybe maybe you wouldn't mind stealing a trick or two or something. I still love Mariah. She's still the best. Um, I love Bjork because, and you know, I think a lot of people can relate. When she sings, you kind of like see a landscape. I think that's what I love about her voice. You feel like, um, she, you know, if there was no um, electronics or digital anything, she can be like a messenger singing out messages to like the next town over. Um, yeah, very elemental, very yeah, necessary. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, and it's so, and it. I love how in a lot of her kind of. Uh, um, I forgot the term for it, but when she like stretches her voice, uh, oftentimes she doesn't have vibrato. It's just like a pure tone. It's a little raspy, and it's just I love that. That's who I'm thinking of right now, anyway. Yeah, I mean, some pretty high role models, <laughs> pretty high standards. Yeah. yeah. Well, I feel like you. I mean, your work is very meticulous, and I think your high standards show in how you put together your music. Um, and I wanted to talk to you specifically about you going to SUNY Purchase, and I know you studied studio composition, and part of that was the studio part, and I, I mean, that's, to me, a big part of your records. It makes them stand apart. They're very well-produced, even when the sound is, like, raw and punkish. It's, like, has a, a real crispness and a real deliberation to it, and... I guess I want to know a little bit about like going to SUNY and kind of what you took away from that and in terms of like this studio aspect, you know? Well, yeah, I basically applied to SUNY Purchase because it said on its website that it had all these studios and I was like, oh, great. And then I just um, applied and, and went. Um, truthfully, I'm not an engineer and I'm not a producer. Um, and right now I'm working with this guy, Patrick Highland, who I've been working with since retired from sad new Korean business. Um, so I should preface this with like, I'm not a producer, I'm not an engineer. Um, but my mentality has always been um, use what's around you and make the best of what you have. Um, and I think when it comes to production, I'm not so much looking for the best gear. I'm not looking for the best instruments, the best players. I'm just looking at what is available to me and trying to find what makes that thing good or what the best thing about that is and then trying to draw that out. Um, I don't know if that answers your question. No, I get that. Yeah. yeah. I. No, you made your first two records as student projects, and there are some things on there that are like, it doesn't the your second record have like a sixty person orchestra on it? Like you have like there's some pretty crazy resources on this in terms of like just what came together to make it. And I guess I want to know if like the fact that you made it at school, if that if the scope of it was larger because you. You felt like you needed to use the resources or because they were there, you know what I mean? Oh, for sure. I mean, I had all these classical musicians who were willing to play for free for me. So, and well, you know, it was a tit for tat situation. A lot of it was bartering where they would play on my record, so I'd be in their recital, blah, blah, blah. Um, and the great thing about being in school is that my job was to make music without any limitations or my job was to experiment, you know, 
Um, and so I kind of just looked around and said, what can I use? And I'm going to use all of it. Because college is expensive. <laughs> Get the most out of it. Yeah, really yeah, yeah. squeeze it out before they give you those loans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, your records back then, to me, have a real... They're a bit more classical, you know? And your piano playing is more central. And the last two records, you know, have been more rock records. And I know you... I think you said earlier about not playing guitar until later in, in your own musical career. I guess I'm curious about about that sort of transition to like rock um, instrumentation. Like, did that change the way you thought about your own songwriting in a dynamic way, or not? Because you're always like with the vo- voice first, like you were saying. It did and it didn't. First of all, that transition was again practical. You know, I graduated from college. I didn't have the the classical instrument resources. I didn't have a piano or a nice sounding piano anymore. I had my guitar. I was gigging with a guitar. Like I said earlier, I transitioned to a more portable instrument. Um, but I do think that my writing is a little different with guitar as opposed to piano. I think with piano, I'm much, I'm much more focused on. Um, interesting chord progressions. I think with guitar, um, because my skill level is so elementary, um, I end up just um, going with the most simple chord progressions because that would often be what I'm able to play. Whereas with piano, I have more uh, experience with it. So, you know, I would kind of uh, work in a little bit more weird stuff or I feel like I would have more freedom to... Um, explore the musicality of it outside of the the vocal melody. And I really hope that like I can do a piano-based record again because I do feel like my writing is a little different. Yeah. Well, because you have had a lot of different styles in your music and played in, in different styles even over the course of these four albums, I'm really kind of curious... Like, where you're going to go next. Like, I don't want to skip ahead and be like, tell me what's interesting you now, but I guess I'm wondering if there are styles of music or instruments that you haven't never explored that you're like, I really want to do something like that. Um, you know, I don't know. That's a good question. I do know that I always want to be making something different from what I made before um, because that's scary, I, I don't have my phone. I have this quote on my phone, um, a David Bowie quote, and I'm just going to paraphrase and butcher it, but it's just about how, like, if you're in a, a slightly uncomfortable spot artistically, then that's where you should be. You shouldn't really be in a spot where you know where you're doing. Like, you should kind of go a little further into the deep end than you are able to swim, and that's when things get interesting. And I... I try to follow that, and I, I don't know what I'm going to make next, but I know that I don't want to repeat myself, um, even though it's very tempting to do so, um, especially because now this is my living, so people have to like my music in order for me to make a living, which is a scary thought. And so it's na- it's now like very tempting for me to repeat what people have said they like about my music or just do what I know I'm good at. But on the other hand, I think that would then, in my mind, if I did that, I would no longer be able to call myself an artist because I think I should always be a little bit uncomfortable. Well, 
don't you think it's a little bit of a dance too? Like we've all seen art that's like you're like this is exactly what you had in your head, but maybe it's not. It's hard to get into like things that are like willfully like inaccessible. Like I'm always super curious about this with musicians how they navigate that dance of like being uncomfortable and pushing themselves and being true to themselves versus like just the awareness of an audience, you know? And now, like you were saying, you know you have, you have people that are going to hear it. When you sort of bridge that for the first time of like going from making a record where that expectation wasn't there to making one where it was, I mean, I'm, I'm going to guess that's like puberty too, was like you were probably very aware of like there are expectations. People are definitely going to hear this and take notice of this. Was it hard to navigate that at all? Yes. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, it was. There is, there is like in my mind now when I'm writing, there is always that kind of, I forgot what it's called, but that infinite scroll on the bottom of a news broadcast where it's just like... Um, oh, the crawl. Yeah, yeah, the crawl, yeah. Um, there's kind of like that when I'm writing, but of like interview questions I would be asked if I wrote that and how I'm going to explain that. Yeah. Um, but I'm also able, the thing I love about writing is that it lets me, it makes everything quiet and it gives me this focus that I can't get doing anything else. It kind of yeah. just like, I become one, you know? Um, so yes, I think that was part of the question. Also the part of the question was like the difference between making something inaccessible. Yeah, that was just the, I don't know, that was a preface ramble. I think we got where we were no, going. No, but it was interesting. Well, you know, the idea of like, uh, seeing somebody follow their every whim that they want, that they're like, wouldn't it be crazy if yeah. we did this? And uh, sometimes it can just be so like, it, it. as a writer, there are certain ideas that only make sense in your own head. Yeah. And having the awareness where you're like, I'm not going to write about that because it doesn't make sense to anyone probably except mm -hmm. me. Right. And I, I guess I just have to think, because I've heard records that are like, you're just like, what are, you, what are you doing? There's yeah. no, like, songs here. Like, these are, like, 11-minute soundscapes, and they sound good, but, right. like... Right. Well, I think... Here's the thing. I think a lot of that comes from privileged people who have always had an audience. No matter what they did, they always got an award. Um, it's... I think... Um, so a lot of that is kind of, like, jerking off, where it's just, like... It's... Yeah, let's be clear. It's, like, yeah, jerking yeah, yeah. off. Yeah. Well, so... And I don't want to do that because I think I am not confident in the fact that I will always have an audience because I never, like, I have a very small window within, uh, in which, like, people look at me and listen to what I'm saying. So I have to, like, stuff everything I, I want to say into that. And that's why all my songs are really short. But also, going, going to, like, <laughs> I'm aware of it. Um, and I think going to like the difference between like making something really obscure versus like making someone people like there are a lot of different kinds of musicians i think some musicians really love music for the sake of music i don't think i'm that kind of musician i'm kind of a selfish musician who uses music in order to express something i want to express so music yeah. is just my medium whereas a lot of musicians especially in conservatory i met who like genuinely get off on chord progressions and love the math of it. And that's fine. That's like, they're just different kinds of musicians. So I think that there's that difference as well. Whereas uh, I 
think of music more as uh, like little baskets that carry the baby, whereas yeah. like, pe uh, you know, the stork metaphor. Is anyone following me? Whereas, <laughs> whereas like, you know, a lot of people's baby itself is like the core of progression. Yeah. I mean, your care of your lyrics and the emotion and what you're trying to get across are like incredibly vivid within your songs. But it's, to me, it's just so, it's striking because the music is very meticulous and everything is like exactly where it should be. And I'm not saying that people that care about lyrics aren't meticulous musicians, but like the rawness of the emotion and the what you're expressing in the lyrics juxtaposed with something that is so meticulous I mean, it just, everything feels so intentional in it that I, sometimes I listen to it and I have to wonder, like, if you, I guess if you drove yourself completely crazy, kind of making it, because I can just... <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> yeah, let me, let me in. <laughs> yeah, um, I think it, it goes back to that kind of awareness that no one needs to listen to me and I have a very short amount of time not just where people listen to me but just not to get too real but like a very short amount of time on earth and like I want to make sure that I like I communicate to the best of my ability what it's like for me to be alive and feel alive and I think it's it's I, that is my the reason I live um, and so I want to make I guess that's why there's so much care or you hear so much care in my work because I am living in order to communicate these songs. It's just that's everyone has their own meaning in life and I've I've just decided that my songs are my meaning in life. So I want, it's like, they're like my legacy where I want to make sure I communicate it all very clearly. Yeah. The thing where you're talking about having the window, you know, like cramming stuff in. Do you think that that, is connected to like moving around and you sort of, I imagine you probably have to like sort of, you go to a new school and you're sort of pitching yourself or you're positioning yourself. You know, you have that window of like, I'm here and I exist and how do I like fit in with all of that? Do you know what I mean? Do you, do you think it's connected in some way? I definitely think it's yeah. connected. What I also think is connected now that you say that is like, I've always been an outsider and what, um, what you learn when you're an outsider is that you're always watching and it teaches you to be very observant and it also teaches you to look at yourself objectively or look at yourself how other people are looking at you because what uh, when you you know when you have to pitch yourself and you go to a new place and you have to like assimilate you have to really quickly judge how other people are seeing you in order to form a positive impression of yourself yeah and I think that not only made me um, um, have to feel like I have to cram all my ideas into one second, but also made me f very aware of myself and very observant and also very objective. And I f feel like that's been very helpful in my songwriting because when you write songs, you have to, in a way, be objective about your own really subjective things in order to describe them. And you have to like, walk that tightrope of being very subjective while also being very objective. Yeah. I just keep thinking about the outsider thing because I think you struck a nerve with people in 
you were a different type of person than like this white male indie rock world. And I was very nervous about how to talk to you about this, but it is a, I think it is a huge part of what some of your fans, like the power of just seeing themselves and just seeing like somebody that didn't exist in a space a decade ago that wasn't allowed to be there. And it's incredibly powerful just to see something different in this genre that is like so one thing and it's such an introspective genre that is built on like one's own experience and it's like we had one experience for a long time um and I I guess I want to know a little bit about like if you see yourself as a role model because there's a lot of people that see that in you well I don't walk around thinking of myself as a role model because that, speaking of going crazy, that would drive me crazy Um, because you start thinking, instead of following your own compass, you start following what you think is other people's compass for you, which is so confusing. Um, So I don't, I I haven't quite uh, figured out what it means to be a quote-unquote role model. I guess it's kind of like, I don't have a religion, but it's kind of like having a religion in that you have this feeling of being watched and you have to be good. Um, I, isn't that what religion is? I don't really know. But <laughs> um, Yeah, it must be a weird thing to have know that some people like perceive you as, like they look up to you and mm-hmm. they're like, your existence is like, yes, I can do this. Yeah. I, my fandom is validated. My experience yeah. is validated. Like I used to feel that way just seeing any woman mm-hmm. playing a guitar. Yeah. And I just have to wonder, like, how you work that out in your head. Like, if, you know, you can't walk around thinking mm-hmm. about it because... Well, it is, it is very deeply satisfying in a way that I think... I think um, what's satisfying is that there's this feeling of being able to talk to my younger self or reach yeah. my younger self and in a way, like, redo my life through other people. Or just when I, like, when I see, you know... Sometimes when I meet it, like a young half Asian girl being like, I'm so glad you exist. Like it makes me want to cry because it's not, I mean like not, no offense. It's not even about her. It's about like, I just, I just feel like I'm, I'm talking to my former self and I'm able to turn back time and, and like have, you know, have that, which I never had when I was younger. And it's, it's like a satisfying thing, but it's also sad because you can never redo your life but I guess kind of it's it's second best where you get to be that for someone else and feel like you are living better or you had a better life just through other people yeah that's really I like that I get that yeah Yeah, it's very selfish but (laughs) well the whole thing must be you have to you know what I mean like you're just getting through it how you would (laughs) Um, you had a really interesting reaction after um, your best American girl came out. Um, I need to just say that was like the best song of last year. I'm gonna go on record as saying that. Thanks. Yeah. Can we just clap for that song? That's amazing song. Um, and you had this great Facebook post where you were just like, I wanna clarify something. There's a lot of press that has positioned this as like sticking it to white indie rock dudes and you're like no it's a fucking love song like there is something in that song though that I have always wanted to ask you about there is part of this tone like 
across puberty too and on bury me at makeout creek i hear so much weezer in the guitars and knowing how like deliberate you are you know that you think about everything i have to just wonder like if that's a playful thing that's a playful sort of reclamation of like this is a sound and we all know what some of <laughs> what some of uh, the problematic shit that Weezer has written about with regards to women, specifically Asian women. And I just, I guess I w I've always wondered if there's like, if it's winking in some way or having a dialogue with it, or maybe I'm just overthinking no, it. No, 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 I'm always winking. Um, <laughs> but it's, uh, here's the thing, a song doesn't have to be one thing. Like, Your Best American Girl is so genuine for me and it's coming from a real place, but that doesn't mean I, uh, it, I can't also be dry and cynical within it. Because that's like, I, I, that's the thing. I want all my songs to be human and human beings contain multitudes, as they say. Um, so, let, yeah, I, it is there, but it's not the point. No, 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 yeah. no. It's more like an Easter egg. Yeah, at yeah. least for me. I was like... <laughs> This is, yeah, this it's like the point it's of like song. pretty nail polish, you know. It's not the point of the person, but it makes it look nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I want now. I want to talk to you about nail polish. <laughs> you do. You are. Uh, you. I like watching you live because you always have these great. Uh, Again, this is gonna, I hope this doesn't sound too gendered. You always look very good. You have these great dresses. You wear like shiny heels. And like as somebody who has always been femme, and I know I'm not alone in this, there is a certain, I think, thrill in seeing somebody like play, especially on your gnarlier songs. Like just really like playing with the femininity in this space that has been so long and like said that this is for men, you know? And I, I don't know. I want to know if you like get a thrill out of that at all, that sort of juxtaposition. It's very complicated for me because here's the thing. Um, I spent all my teenage years being obsessed with beauty um, and this kind of, I'm very resentful about it and I'm very angry where like I had so much intelligence and energy and drive and instead of using that to study more, or instead of like pursuing something, instead of going out and learning about the world, changing the world, I directed all that fire inward and burnt myself up and like tried to make myself beautiful and perfect and so I'm not exaggerating when I say when, when I was a teenager every second of my waking hour and even my dreams were focused on or were somehow about being as perfect and beautiful as possible so after, when I came to New York it wore me out I think and I was just tired and I just did a 180 and decided, you know what, I'm gonna ditch all of this. You know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do any things that are femme. And, and, you know, maybe if you see like early footage of me, you can see it where I'm like very, very butch. Because um, I didn't want to have anything to do with beauty because it ruined my life. And it ruined my sense of self and it ruined me. Um, and I, I just wasted my youth on it. Um, but slowly and sh little by little, I'm realizing that now that I've kind of like found a balance, I enjoy all the rituals. I enjoy, you know, the, the very kind of classical ideas of 
femininity. And I, maybe it's just something that's been ingrained in me. I'm still researching it in my mind, but I'm realizing I don't have to be one or the other. I can, I can kind of investigate what I like and I can think about whether it's problematic, I can think about how it's healthy or how it's not, and I'm still searching, I don't know the answer. But in the meantime, I'm kind of like letting go of that other extreme of like not doing anything to kind of uh, make myself look nice in my mind. Because I'm realizing I, en I enjoy these silver slippers, you know? It's, it's, so I don't know. I mean, next year I might look totally different. I don't know. But it's, it's interesting you bring that up because I do. And when you say, you know, the gnarly music, I am a Libra and I'm always about balance. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think it's very intriguing when there's a contrast between like distorted heavy music played by like, a, like someone who looks like they're about to go to work, you know? I think I really, I, I'm all about kind of finding balance and finding like a weird middle ground. Um, I do that in my compositions where like if it's, if there's like a, a heavy subby bass, then I want to put like a little high note in there just to balance it out. Um, so yeah, I, I just, I, I'm exploring those contrasts. Your music is extremely contrasting. Like, I was listening to it earlier and I just kept thinking, like, this is so violent. There's so many sounds in it that are so violent in, like, a great way. But then, you, I mean, a song later, you're like, this is the most beautiful twinkling thing I've ever heard in my fucking life. And it is extremely real into how people are. And I know so much art is called real. It's we, 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 we say things are good because they feel real or they feel authentic, but there is something about you that radiates with that. And I think social media has oddly been like a zone where that has, that has manifested as well. Um, I think your, a lot of your fans are like very connected to you on that level. And I'm curious if you like, because you're, I feel like you, I see you go through phases on certain platforms of like, I'm using this a lot and then I'm not using this. Do you have a conflicted relationship with social media at all? This is a very roundabout way of getting there. Sorry. What's the question? <laughs> no, no, no. Social media. Yes. Well, I'm not on Instagram anymore because I can't remember my password. Wait, that's why? <laughs> Actually. Well, no, I lost my iPhone. And then I can't remember my password, so it's going to be a whole thing to try to get back on it. It's just I can't bother. But it's I'm like also the most a Libra in that I'm lazy, and so I can't. Um, but, yeah, I have, a, I have a weird relationship with social media. Here's the thing. To be real, I'm afraid of people, especially people in groups. As someone who has been an outsider all my life, and I understand the danger of being alone right outside a circle of people. It's, and this, like humans instinct, instinctively, instinctually, I don't actually know which, which one is it? You're the writer. Instinctively? Instinctually? Instinctively. Instinct, inst, people, okay, let's no, do this again. No, it's the other one. People, well, human beings instinctively just kind of group into groups or like seek out other humans because it's just safer that way. And so, and I grew up on the outside of it. So I, I have seen firsthand the, the kind of shit people do when they feel safe within anonymity, 
People feel strong in a group. People feel justified in a group. And social media is like that times 100, where it's just people, anonymous people in a big group um, against me. Um, and so I'm, it's my biggest fear, people in groups. And so I think by going on social media, I'm, also, I'm in a way confronting my fear or just kind of like trying to keep that channel open and stay connected and communicate to, to not eradicate my fear, but like to remind myself that these people and groups are individuals and I can communicate with them. And I, you know, I am one of them, you know, and it's, it's, so I think that's why I stay on social media, even though it scares me. Um, the herd mentality is very, very scary for me, but I go on there to like, try to keep negotiating my humanity and like keep, keep my faith in people. How does it, I guess I, I have to wonder how it feels like seeing a group of people though like rally around yourself. Does it do something to sort of like change your perception of what a group can be? It's scary. I mean like people in groups have started revolutions, you know. People in groups are powerful and that can be so positive but it also starts wars. So it's, it's just um, when people rally around me I, I need to learn to trust it, but I still don't quite trust it. There's a part of me that thinks, you know, that's the, the part, there's a part of me that's still kind of sniffing the air for when the mood changes and like everyone turns on me, you know? And I, I, it, that's like not anyone's problem, that's my problem, but it's just, I have to, it's trust issues basically, if we're yeah. really getting into it in this interview. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it's a very strange feeling for me to have people rally around me and come to my shows and groups, you know, and like crowds, you know, cheering my music. It, it's, it's still kind of strange to me, but I'm, I'm dealing with it. They're here. They're even just here to hear you talk. <laughs> They're not even just here to hear you play. Um, I want to go back to something and I wanted to ask you about the role of violence in your music and then somehow I landed on social media. So I want to go back to the idea of violence in your music just when things are extreme and loud, especially because you can be very quiet. Does that do something for you in your own head? Like the idea that like a loud noise can sort of like make a clean slate or something. I'm just, I'm so curious about like the role of extreme sound and how you think about music when you're making it? Yeah, I mean, I still haven't... It might just be that I, I'm a human... I'm an animal who's like, loud, you know, wow, awesome, it feels good. It might just be as simple as that. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think, here's the thing. I'm a violent person just by my human nature. I think we all are. But there, we, none of us really have an outlet for it. And I think I'm also a good person and I don't want to hurt anybody. Or I don't want to hurt myself as I did when I was a teenager. So it's, it's kind of, I think it's a negotiation where like you face that violence in you and try to express it, but in, I don't know, and I'm, I, I'm going in circles because this is something I'm still trying to figure out. Yeah. But it's, I don't know, I, I, I'm just... Um, it's very complicated. That yeah. is like also the, the answer with you. Yeah. You're, it's very complicated. Yeah. <laughs> in a good way. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
But yes, I'm attracted to violence, but not, not, not even violence towards anything or anyone. That's the thing that's most complicated. Yeah. Is just it's just this scream. And it's not, I don't know what the scream is about. I don't know what it's at. I don't know what it's for, but it's there. And I'm just, I guess I'm just trying to express it in, in, in the best way possible. That's the, it's not, yeah, that's the thing. It's not violence towards anything or no. anyone. It's just violence. And I, I guess I'm trying to express that. I don't know. I don't know. I'll probably like go home after this and be like, you know what? There was a much better way to say this, but... No, I get that. <laughs> Violence within ourselves is not easy to like reconcile with. So, yeah. yeah. Um, your lyrics are, as we've been talking about, like clearly a huge part. Like you were saying, they're the baskets, mm-hmm. you know, like they're the important part. Who do you like in terms of writers, whether it's other lyricists or it's people who don't work within songwriting? Mm-hmm. Because you, you just, you can be very evocative. Mm-hmm. So... I have to think, like, there are certain people, maybe the way they write scenes or something, their use of, like, language. I don't know. Tell me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually really like Iggy Pop and Johnny Cash and people who write lyrics that are so simple because often I think the hardest thing is to take the muck inside you, the complicated thing, and simplify it into like three words. And I think Iggy Pop and Johnny Cash do that very well. Maybe, maybe they do it instinctively, maybe it's not so thought out, I don't know, I've never talked to them about their process. But it's, I think those are writers I'm attracted to. I think someone said somewhere, I don't remember who, and I'm probably very much paraphrasing, but, um, it's the smartest people are the people who can take like complex ideas about astrophysics and like stuff like that and explain it to a six-year-old. Uh, for example, college kids who use you know really long words in every single sentence and don't make sense actually are the people who don't understand what they're even saying. Right. Right. So I think I think actually really smart people are the people who can explain anything to a small child. Um, and I, I try to, I strive towards that kind of writing where it's not, it's not about how complicated it is. It's not about how um, elaborate it is. It's, it's about, it's about explaining these, these muddy things in just a couple lyrics. I think the last thing I want to ask you, it's, it's very classic, but, um, just hearing you talk, it's clear that like music is in every fiber of you. But I'm just so curious what you what you would do if music wasn't the center of your universe. I'd be a different person. That would be lovely. Um, <laughs> um, you know what? I really loved geology. I might be a geologist. You know what? I really love categories, and this is why I love. This is why I love biology. This is I was good at it in school. This is why I love um, um, tarot cards. This is why I love astrology because there you can put all these things in categories and name them. And I really like rocks. So you maybe really I'll, like rocks? I do. I think that. Are you a crystal person? Are you into all that? No, I'm not. not that's so not much. a judgment. 
No, 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 not so much a crystal person. I'm not, I'm not really keen on like the magical qualities of rocks. I just like how they came about. I just, <laughs> you know, or you know what? I would also love to be a writer because I feel like you can work truly independently. Like with music, you kind of have to work with other people in order to make it happen. But with writing, you can create worlds just with yourself. I feel like that's... Yeah, until yeah. your editor comes along and well. hates, your, hates your whole vision <laughs> you've made. Or hopefully not, but yeah. Well, thank you. Thank Mitsuki. you. I so appreciate it. Thank you all very much. Thank you all for listening. I really wasn't expecting anyone to come. So thank you. So, yeah, please line up and ask Mitski your, uh, the questions you've been... I, there are some of you on Twitter who were like, I'm going to think of questions, so I know some of you have been mulling this. Hi. Hi. Yeah, um, this is a pretty specific question about um, Pearl Diver, which is like my favorite song of yours. Ah, um, yeah, well, it's also like a really cryptic song, and I don't... I like it, and I think I kind of get it, but I think I probably don't get it. So, like, I don't know. Could you talk about it? All of my songs should be whatever you need them to be. And what I felt and thought when I was writing it doesn't really matter. I think once the song is out there and you listen to it, it's yours. Well, also, but... Uh, but, <laughs> but just to explain my perspective, I was... I was um, Oh God, that was so long ago. I'm trying to remember what I was thinking. I was just thinking about death and dying. Um, and just, uh, yeah, it's about death. Sorry, I can't go further. There was just like a line of people graciously waiting. So, But it's about death, but also whatever you want. <laughs> Hey, um, I'm Caroline. I, the things you were saying about the lyrics and how you simplify them, um, I guess I was just wondering if you ever are experiencing a moment and know that it's gonna get written about later and if you have a moment that you would maybe wanna share with us. Ooh, that's a good question. It's, uh, it's interesting. Um, yes, I think I have those moments, and it's hard to explain, but there's this, when I experience it, and I think with every writer it's different, but when I experience something that I know I'm going to write about, it feels very quiet and focused, and there's this, almost this feeling of relief, or just knowing, um, just this feeling of kind of, um, uh, almost like a, a purpose, feeling of purpose, feeling of just like being serene with myself because I think my purpose in life is to write. So when I get those moments when I'm about to write, I'm like, ah, oh, this is what I'm doing. And it's very, it's very serene. And maybe it's a coping mechanism. Maybe like when I felt these extreme sad or mad emotions, my body was like, I need to turn this into something productive in order to deal with it. And maybe it's like just a coping mechanism. But yes, I know because everything goes quiet and I just get a focus. Hi, I'm Emily. Um, I'm kind of curious. I know a lot of the interviews talked a little bit about um, 
what it's like to be under the microscope and like to have your lyrics dissected um, or like to have your person dissected. So I was, I was kind of curious like if um, there's any kind of like interpretation or like review that you read and you were like, I really hate this. Like this isn't, this isn't me or like this isn't what the song is supposed to be. Um, and like really how you, how you feel about that. I've gotten every kind of interpretation that I've gone numb to it. Um, but there was one review by a guy in Europe. I forgot where he was from or what his name it was, but um, he said um, that, I'm paraphrasing, but he said he, she's probably so anxious about trying to get a good grade in her studies or maybe the pressures from parents. And I was just like, really? You listen to all my music and that's, that's what you got. Um, I've gotten every kind of interpretation that I've just stopped feeling anything about it. <laughs> Sorry from writers, just generally. <laughs> I'll say it's that. Okay. Hello, um, my name's Haley, and I guess the question I have it's like knowing that like you're um, earlier in your life you've like seen so many places and just like why New York and like does this feel like you came here and you're like yeah this is this is the place like why. Good question. I came to New York because it was really all I knew about America. Outside of, I mean, if anyone's lived abroad, you know this, where like America is either New York or Los Angeles, you know. And so I didn't know much about it. I just knew that I had to go somewhere and it was New York. And I'm glad I came here. I think I'm very, I think I feel at home here, which is very strange for me to say, um, because every, every kind of person is here. And also because I think you can be anonymous here, which is um, really comforting for me as someone who was always very much noticed in a bad way. You know, I was very different. I stuck out. Um, people would talk about me. I just, it, I, I did everything I could to not be noticed. So here I can just be a human and live my life and not be noticed. And, and that's actually, it sounds bad, but it's, very comforting for me. So I, yeah, I think that's why I stay here. Um, I'm Gabby. I just wanted to ask you about, um, you, you discussed, like you talked a lot about like dichotomous feelings like within yourself um, and how you kind of let yourself feel two very different things at once without like, I guess like it gets to the point where it's like kind of lonesome. So like how would you explain how you like balance those feelings in your head at least well it's still not quite balanced in there <laughs> um well we talked about um my growing up everywhere and um this is kind of a long-winded answer but every time i would move to a new place i would experiment and just become a different person because um, it was a little before social media or when social media was still starting up. So I could still like go to a place without anyone knowing about my past, um, which was great for me as a teenager when I didn't know who I was. So I could just be every kind of extreme knowing that like if it's not who I am, I would leave anyway. Um, and even though that fucked me up in the long run, um, I, I also discovered that I am all of those people you know, I'm not one person, I'm many people in one body. And I think that it goes back to what you said, where like there's a dichotomy and there's all these different emotions at the same time. I think I'm comfortable with that because I learned early on that I am 
all of those people. I'm everything, and that's fine. Thank you. Hi, Vitsky. Um, I'm Tiffany. Uh, I just had a quick question. You guys touched briefly about like the problematic aspects of Weezer, and um, so I just want let's to go. <laughs> <laughs> I just went to Boston Calling, and you played the same day as Weezer. So how how was it like, kind of like playing with Weezer in a way? Well, first of all, hi, Tiffany. I just put my glasses on, and I know who you are. <laughs> um, I think. First of all, all the Asians were at my set, and all the white people were at Weezer's set. <laughs> um, what was the question again? <laughs> I don't know, just how was it um, knowing that Weezer's problematic and you're like sharing the same space as them, but... I wasn't even thinking about them. I didn't... That's the good answer. I, didn't, I don't care about them. Well, no, I shouldn't, that's, you know what? Tomorrow, Brooklyn vegans be like, Mitski doesn't give a shit about Weezer. <laughs> that's not, that's not what I'm Expect saying. Expect a DM from Rivers Cuomo. He's gonna be like, that's I look what, up to you. Aww. That's, no, that's not what I'm saying. I, they just aren't in my mind. They're not what I'm about. I respect their music. Their songs are good. Rivers Cuomo, River Cuomo, Rivers Cuomo's. Plural, yeah. <laughs> music is good. I just, it, it just doesn't enter my mind. You have the all-time greatest tweet about Rivers Cuomo. Oh. I, that was, that's, I think it's the best what is it? tweet. Um, you were like, I can't tell if I'm Rivers Cuomo's nightmare or his dream girl. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Tiffany. <laughs> Hello. Hi. Uh, oh, you're tall. <laughs> I can crouch. Okay. But uh, you touched a little bit on astrology, so... <laughs> Which sign would you have the most love for, and which sign do you kind of give a little bit of a side eye to? What, which sign I would have the most love for, mm -hmm. and which I would have a side eye to? Yeah. <sighs> oh, God. I would side eye Sagittarius as I've talked about this. Um, <laughs> only because Every Sagittarius I've been romantically involved with would not define the fucking relationship. And I need that. I need us to put our relationship in a box so I can just sleep at night and they won't fucking do it for me. So I'd side-eye Sagittarius's. Um, who's my favorite? Uh, I, you know what? Controversial opinion. I love Geminis. Because... Well, here's the thing. All of my, I'm a Libra, and I guess it's an air sign thing, but it's, it's just like my sister is a Gemini and we get along really well. My, like, the people I've been romantically involved with who have worked out really well are Geminis. I think with Gemini, but I also hate some Geminis. There's one famous Gemini that I fucking despise. His name is Trump. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, and, and so I think Gemini's, a good Gemini is the best sign. A bad Gemini is the worst sign. Thank you. Thank you. You got me started. Hi, um, I'm Alana, and Hi. I was wondering, like, uh, what conditions do you write under? Do you write in a notebook or do you type? And also I was wondering what time you were born. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha 
Oh my goodness. Someone's making a birth chart. <laughs> I was a, oh, this is so private, but um, I was a C-section, so I came out at 10 a.m. sharp. Um, oh, that's why I'm so orderly. I'm just like, let's go. Um, 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 what was the other question? Like, oh, oh, oh writing yeah. conditions. So right, it used to be... I used to be a lot pickier, but now I tour for a living. So what I do now is, um, on tour I can't write, but I can, I can think of ideas. So what I do is like I make little voice memos of snippets, or I like write down little phrases and kind of collect little pieces of a song, and then I go off tour and go through my notebooks and my voice memos and then organize them. So that's kind of how I write right now. Thank you. Hey, um, my name is James. Um, so first of all, I want to say thank you so much for like just being alive in the like indie music sphere and just being Asian and representative. Oh, so validating. Right? Yeah, I'm just amazing. But I'm also going to give you the opportunity to not be the only person in that sphere and to like bust it the fuck open. Mm -hmm. Who are your favorite like Asian diaspora like musicians in like the past or even working contemporarily that you can just talk about now so that we have a bigger space and a bigger platform to take over the world musically oh, and creatively. Yay. <laughs> well, I mean, the first people that come to mind are Japanese Breakfast and JSOM um, because I, ju I just, they're the first people who come to mind because I went on tour with them. It was like me, it was actually me, uh, Michelle and Jason all on one tour and it was really good um, and we're all so different that's the thing is that we are all so different I think that's what needs to be highlighted like me and Japanese breakfast and Jason think in totally different ways make different music um, I, I want us to get to a point where our Asianness is not the point absolutely um, and also, honestly, Yoko Ono, um, I think she has had it hard because it was not her fault. <laughs> All, everyone just needed a, a scapegoat slash target and there was this Asian girl who John was in love with and they were like, fuck her. Um, when she's actually a great artist in her own right, her poetry is amazing. So there are a lot more people, but you know, you know what I mean. Thank you. Hey, uh, I'm Macy. I'm a Taurus, and I just want to start. <laughs> I just want to start by saying that, um, as someone whose family is from a very recently banned uh, travel country, your best American girl was just a very important song to me. But I actually want to talk to you about Strawberry Blonde. Mm. It's been my favorite ever since one of my friends said that it reminds them of Golden Retrievers, and I just I love how like vivid the imagery and how like just happy the song is. And I wanted to ask about like where it takes place. Like, was that based off of like a field you've actually been in like how do you imagine that area when you sing it I was on my first tour of my life um, I don't remember what year I think it was five years ago six years ago seven years ago something like that um, and I was my first tour it wasn't a real tour it was more like a road trip and it was in the summer and we were just driving and it was a lot of like upstate New York and it was just pretty and sunny and I think that's where it yeah, it comes from thank you thank you <laughs> Uh, hi, I'm Jose. Um, you wrote a, something on Twitter like a couple days ago, and I don't know if it's like something I should like think about or if it was just like, oh, a general observation. But um, 
I don't know if like you specifically in general like meant Asia or like Japan, but like you wrote like, oh, whenever I go here, like, oh yeah, they point out that I'm American. And as someone who comes from a an immigrant family, you know, every you know, it's it's happened a lot where it's become less of a oh, I'm going home to see family, and more of a I I come from this culture, I come from like this, but I it's like my own. I like my extended family doesn't see it, and I, I'm like they always try to test me on like my Spanish and just those kind of thing. And I, I wanted to know if like if it was if this if this is something like like you know generally runs to your mind or it's something you try to brush off, and if it's not, then I don't know how how do you deal with it? Do you not deal with it at all? Oh yeah, I mean it's not even something that's running through my mind. It is just who I am. It's. It's not even a thought process. It's ingrained in every single part of my being, just not being from where I'm from. I, I said in that tweet where, like, when I came to the U.S., I didn't know I was Asian. I just got here, and everyone treated me like an Asian person. And I was like, oh. And now I identify as Asian American, but it's been a process, you know, because... Outside of the U.S., I wasn't Asian American, you know. I was just American, or I would—I was just this anomaly, like this person who looks like everyone else, and yet is definitely not from here. And everyone can tell. Um, I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. I probably yes. butchered your tweet and what you were saying, so I apologize. Yeah. Well, if if you can't tell whether it's general information or it's deep, just think it's deep all okay. the time. <laughs> Will do. Thank you. Hi, I'm Amanda. Hi. Um, I noticed, I've seen you perform a few times now, and I've noticed that um, the your, the feeling that you have and your presence when you're performing is so different than the way you're talking now. Like, you're very candid and lighthearted, um, and on Twitter, too, you also are. Um, but when you're performing, it's very emotional. You don't say much in between songs. You connect right with the audience. Do you sort of go to the place where those songs were written and you feel them as strongly as before, or is it just sort of part of the whole, my songs are for me, like... I, my interpretation of them is, you know, selfish, the selfish thing you're saying. Like, how does that translate into the way that you perform? Well, I think the, the weird and unhealthy thing for me is that when I'm on stage is who I really am, who I am at my raw being. Who I am right now talking to you as candid as it seems is kind of like my social self or like the the person I become in order to function in society whereas in on stage I'm finally a truly who I am and who I really am is not someone who's verbal you know um I don't really go back to where I was when I was writing the music because it's hard to uh, revisit that every single night 365 days a year but um I do go to a different uh, plane or just like, I, I want to hold a different space, you know. I don't want my performance to be everyday life. I want it to be kind of a place a little underneath the surface. Thank you. Hi, Mitski. I'm Sean. Um, so my question is that you are American, but you're also Japanese. Um, and you've been around. So I've been around. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm wondering, um, what are some cultural musical influences that you may incorporate into your music um, as well, like maybe that you've been exploring, you've been interested in, ancient, contemporary? Where do you want to go with your music in the future? I don't know where I want to go with my music in the future, but I think I actually always go back to Japanese nursery rhymes that I grew up with. It's weird. Those are the things that, like, you can't shake. So it, it, if you have children, I suggest you, you know, make them listen to really good music in infancy because that's it. That's what, that's what is stuck with them for the rest of their lives. So. But I don't know where I'm going to go, you know, influence-wise. Okay. Well, I'll remember Iggy Pop for my kids. Thanks. <laughs> Hi, I'm Emuna. Um, I was wondering if you have any reservations about writing about emotional times in your life, because when I do, I feel like I'm kind of exploiting myself and my emotions in order to write something good. And if you have any uh, reservations about that, or if you, if you do, how do you get past that? So two things. One is, as I said before, I think of myself, my purpose in life, as arrogant as it sounds or deluded as it sounds, I think of my purpose in life is to express whatever I'm experiencing through art. So I, I'm able to just see it as me doing my job. It's interesting where I'm talking about really emotional stuff, but in a diluted way, I'm like, no, this is what I'm supposed to do so I don't have a choice. Um, and so it's very easy for me to do it. I don't, I've never had reservations about bearing it all. Um, but also, here's the thing, it's not, when I, my music is not about specific narratives, like things as they happen to me in my life. They're about core emotions I felt through those things. So it doesn't even matter what the narrative is or what I actually experienced. My, my, my goal is to convey that emotion. So sometimes the narrative in my song is different from the narrative that has it, as it happened in my life. And that's fine because my, my focus is sharing this core emotion that I believe everyone else has probably experienced. So maybe, I guess, in your writing, instead of thinking of your writing as explaining what happened to you word for word, you can focus on that core emotion that you felt through what happened to you and describing that emotion and doing what you can to let that emotion out, if that makes sense. Yes, thank okay. you. Thank you. Seeing how there are probably a few musicians in the audience, uh, going through the DIY scenes, and you've went through around a lot, have you ever had a thought because of your ethnicity, because of your gender, your sex, that maybe it would have been a disadvantage? Because I know that at some point, some people may have felt that uh, just because I'm this or that, maybe I won't be able to make it on top, especially when we have this sort of uh, image of, uh, of a successful musician, you know? I still encounter roadblocks where other people, I see other people kind of walk straight, but then when I try to walk beside them, there are so many walls that I have to first break down. And I've accepted that. And I, I understand that those are walls that I just, those are like part of the basket of things that I got just like anyone, everyone kind of is born with their basket of things that they have to deal with. And I, it's hard, but 
I see what I do as what I'm meant to do with my life. So I will endure anything in order to get to do what I'm doing. Um, I, for example, I said this before, I didn't start pursuing a, a career in music until later than I could have because I fundamentally couldn't imagine myself being on stage, being on a poster, being a musician. And I think that's something that other people deal with as well, even other Asian people or people of color. When you can't imagine yourself being there, it's hard to get there. And also, when you can't imagine another artist of color being in a certain position, you almost can't believe that they're there or you can't believe that they'll get there and so you tend to underestimate them, if that makes any sense. And I, I know I'm not give, giving any answers, but I'm so, I don't know if this answers your question. But yes, there are hurdles, but they're just in your basket of things that you have to deal with. And there's no, it's kind of really sad and unproductive to compare yourself to other people. And you just have to do what you have to do in order to get to where you want to go. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't know if that answers your question. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> no, that was fucking amazing. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. This has been Inside Out. Inside Out is presented by MailChimp. Build your brand, sell more stuff. This podcast was produced by yours truly, Elia Einhorn and Mark Yoshizumi and engineered by Mark Yoshizumi. Additional engineering by Katie Lau. Thanks to Ad Hoc for co-presenting and Brooklyn Bazaar for hosting the event. 